Professor Paul Warmington is one of the UK's leading scholars in the sociology of race and education. His latest book, Permanent Racism, Race, Class and the Myth of Postracial Britain, exposes the doublespeak behind the racism has no place in our society narrative, bringing critical race theory and black Atlantic thought to bear on race equality in the UK. Paul Warmington is visiting professor at Coventry University and visiting research fellow at Goldsmiths University of London and is with me today to talk about his new book. Paul, welcome to Transforming Society. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, nice to be here. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much. Um, well, let's dive in straight away. So the permanence of racism from which the title of your book is derived is a condition of society that was identified by Professor Derek Bell back in the 80s, one of the founders of critical race theory. So I wondered if you could start us off by explaining a little more about this unfolding story of permanent racism, what's meant by the term, and why it's as important to understand today as it was back in the 80s when Derek Bell first coined the phrase. Sure. The title of my book is Permanent Racism, Race, Class and the Myth of Post-Racial Britain. And the title Permanent Racism was important to me because I wanted readers to kind of respond with the the, the same initial double take, almost cognitive dissonance that, 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 that I, I experienced when I first encountered Derek Bell's book, which is called Faces at the Bottom of the Well. The Permanence of Racism. So it's a book that uh, Bell published in 1992. And, and it's really one of the key statements in critical race theory. And it was really the subtitle, The Permanence of Racism, that, that kind of made me sort of take a step back. Because I think for those of us who, who work you know, in, in you know, anti-racist circles, the basis of our work has always been this idea, you know, we shall overcome. And the idea that you know, the moral arc of the universe you know, bends towards justice and, and, and so forth. So there's always this idea that if you're an anti-racist, you're kind of moving mm -hmm. towards this shining city on a hill where racism has been overcome decisively. And so I thought, well, what, what does this guy Derek Bell what mean by talking about the permanence of racism? Sure, surely he can't really mean that. And of course, in one sense, Derek Bell did mean it. Derek Bell described his thought as, as racial realism mm. and to understand that it's important to understand where Derek Bell was coming from he come through the civil rights movement of the 1960s and 70s in the USA he was a civil rights lawyer and a legal scholar and therefore Derek Bell's founding question was well why after decades of civil rights legislation and equalities legislation do racial inequalities and racial injustice still persist in our society and it was really a kind of rephrasing of, of you know, Franz Fanon's great question. You know, Franz Fanon used to, used to talk about the fact that Western society had developed all the tools of political philosophy, of science and social science and, and, and ethics, which should have overcome the great problem of, of racism. And, and, but Fanon said, well, well somehow, you know, <laughs> the modern world has failed to do that. And Derek Bell was kind of re re rephrasing that idea in, in, in his own setting. And Bell's conclusion as to why racial injustice persists was simply that, you know, we all like to talk about race as a, as a social construction, but w w what does that mean? And for me and, 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 and for Bell, you know, what race is, what racism is, is it's a political tool. It's a tool for structuring and ordering society. And what Bell said was, well, the reason that, that racism persists is just that as a tool for ordering and structuring society, you know, it's, it's just too useful. It's just too effective. 
Um, it's all the societies across the globe. And obviously, you know, Bell had grown up in a world of segregation in the USA. Yeah, you know, we had apartheid in South Africa. We had the politer forms of, of, of what was once known as the color bar in the UK. And we have you know, Britain and, and for that matter, France's and Spain's and Belgium's histories of colonialism. You know, racism was too valuable a tool for ordering society and stabilizing a society for it to be relinquished you know, anytime soon. So what Bell was saying was, look, you know, he didn't create claim, claim to have a crystal ball. What Bell was saying was, look, you know, it may or may not be that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice, but for our practical purposes, as people trying to combat racism, it's best to bracket all of that. And given what we know and what we know about the last few hundred years of Western society, then it's really best for us to regard racism as a permanent feature of the societies that we live in, particularly those societies that have grown out of colonialism, imperialism, and slavery. So there, there was a kind of paradox there uh, that Bell was offering. He said, no, if, you, if you're really committed to combating racism, then <laughs> yeah, accept it as, as permanent for our purposes. And Bell wasn't, term. sorry. He uses that term, doesn't he, that, it's, that he's using the term as... A, a prescriptive is that right yeah. not a descriptive so uh, no 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 it's, 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 it's the other way around but you're right that that's really important yeah what bell said was you know when i talk about the permanence of racism i'm talking about it as a descriptive term in other words i'm describing the way things are not as a prescriptive term i'm not saying that racism should be permanent be yeah <laughs> i'm saying that in the societies that we have built you know it seems to be you know, an embedded element an embedded you know, tool cultural tool political tool within those societies and bell wasn't saying uh that nothing ever changes he wasn't saying there are never any improvements but what he was saying was that you know positional gains in legislation in policy in educational achievement in in employment figures they're positional gains but they don't mean that racism actually disappears as an axis of conflict in our society. So Bell wasn't saying that we should do nothing. <laughs> in fact, he was saying quite the reverse. But what he was saying is that our societies are really subject to a constant cycle of progress and then regression as regards the struggle against racism. So that cycle of progress and regression is what he was talking about by using that phrase, the permanence of racism. Which I suppose speaks to this notion of why it's just as important that we're that we're talking about it, that it's that it's coming under highlight again now through your book as as it was in the 1980s, because there is still this because this cycle continues to exist, the progression and reversal and, and, and regression. That's that's right. And, and you know, in the book, I mean, I, I, I identify uh, moments in, you know, contemporary British society in which I think we can see that cycle of progress and regression happening. So again, you know, at the end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s, you had the McPherson report into police handling of the murder of Stephen Lawrence. And, you know, for, for, for a moment that again, we were told that you know, it was a turning point, a kind of never again moment as regards the way in which our society will address racism. But really within a few years of the McPherson report, you began to see a backlash in our institutions, in policing, in education, in government. And again, you know, th those never again moments are, are a really important notion in critical race theory also that, that Bell was pointing to. You know, <laughs> Bell said that uh, 
he talked about uh, he used a concept that he called contradiction closure and by contradiction closure what bell meant were, were these moments in policy or legislation where we are told just that that, that, that we've reached a turning point you know that our attitudes to race and racism have changed fundamentally and 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 and, and, and forever these never again moments you know we, we'll never again see the metropolitan police handling the case in the way that they handled the murder of Stephen Lawrence, for instance. We'll never again see institutional discrimination, whether it's institutional racism or institutional homophobia or institutional misogyny, take root in our in our institutions in the way that we saw it in, in previous decades. Yeah. And you know, what Bell said was, you know, societies tend to kind of take those moments, governments take those moments, and they present them as moments of contradiction closure, where basically we've dealt with it. It's done with. You know, basically, yeah, we've dealt with the race problem. It's over now. And, you know, I, I've, I've pointed out moments like that you know, in the book. And again, I, I, sp I suppose key, if you like, the kind of key context of the book is probably the moment between the resurgence of Black Lives Matter as a movement following the police killing in the states of George Floyd, there was a global resurgence in the Black Lives Matter movement. And you know, in the immediate aftermath of that, we saw you know, our major institutions you know, professing their affinity with Black Lives Matter. We saw politicians and, and, and you know, major figures taking the knee and uh, you know, using the black square on social media and, and all of this stuff. And yet, what my book argues is that that was really quite a short window yeah. uh, within our public arena. Uh, it really wasn't long at all before there was a major pushback against Black Lives Matter and against the kind of consciousness uh, about racial injustice that had emerged in many quarters out of Black Lives Matter. So those the yeah those cycles are still with us. The cycles that the that, that Bell talked about in terms yeah understood in terms of the permanence of racism. I mean, there's a there was a sense of which which I think you sort of talked to a sense of a, a distancing. Oh, well, that's America. And, mm -hmm. um, and 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 so you know there's a, there's a sense of um britain is somehow exceptional in in terms of its racist non-racist situation yeah. uh, which is there, there's there's yeah i think that there's there's a tremendous very powerful British exceptionalism when it comes to issues of, of, of race and racism. So, I mean, you, we we can see this constantly. Uh, in Britain, we're always more at ease with pointing the finger across the Atlantic and saying, well, yeah, well gosh, you know, look at those terrible Americans, look at those American cops, look at the those American politicians, look at Donald Trump, you know, that they simply aren't as civilized as us, you know, their racism is far worse than our racism. And, and and you can see this, you know, every every month when you know kids uh, have and other organisations you know, have you know, have have Black History Month, you know, and and just how often Black History Month is a kind of listing of of Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and and, and other figures from the USA, and again. You know, there, 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 there were mass demonstrations in this country, you know, quite rightly so, following the 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 murder of, of, of George Floyd in uh, May 2020. But there there have been numerous uh, deaths at the hands of the police, you know, deaths of, of, of black men in particular at the hands of the police in this country. And, and there have been for decades and, and there have been a number of very high profile instances 
you know, the, 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 the killing of uh, Dalian Atkinson, a former Aston Villa footballer uh, in Birmingham, you know, where, where, where I live. And yet these instances, uh, you know, they're, they're, being, they're being moaned to an extent, you know, but, 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 but they're never quite treated in the same way that, 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 you know, that, that we treat similar events, yes. terrible events happening in the USA. Yes, yes. I mean, well, I mean, this this sort of speaks to this. So we've got this sort of modern rhetoric that are, are referred to, but in the introduction that we live in this, uh, and is in your title that we live in post racial mm. Britain, um, one in which racism has no place. And and I really think it would be useful to you know go a bit further in thinking about how these how that notion of post racialism is used to prematurely close out these uncomfortable mm. conversations about racism because you know it is still very much lived and experienced in everyday society and yeah. yet the narrative suggests otherwise this post-racial narrative suggests otherwise yeah that, that's 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 right yeah the the, the dominant post-racial narrative suggests otherwise and, and and the post-racial narrative is very much as you say about about closing off difficult conversations and closing off the possibilities for action against racism. So what what is post-racialism about? The first thing I'd say about post-racialism is, is I think what we're seeing currently in the UK actually is rooted in a much, much longer, uh, more strongly held desire for what Hazel Carby, either, uh, one of the great sort of cultural theorists, cultural studies people who, who worked with Stuart Hall and so forth. Hazel Carby talked about Britain's desire for a conclusive end to these problems of race and racism. And, and I think that's kind of underlying a lot of what we, 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 we I talk about when, when, when I talk about about what I call state post-racialism. But let, but I, I, I'll just tell you what I think of the uh, 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 perhaps two other really important underlying strands within this 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 post-racialism that we see. I mean, one I suppose if one wanted to be most generous, there is a kind of well-meant version of, of post-racialism, which I guess is rooted in what's often termed. Uh, not as anti-racism, but as non-racism. Right. Um, and non-racism is really, to put it crudely, is not so much about actually combating racism as just not being racist, you know, <laughs> ourselves yeah. at, a, at a kind of individual level and also in the, an, an institutional level. And, yeah, it's rooted in an understandable kind of ab abstract rationale, which is that really we can see the damage that racism has done to our, our, our world, to our societies, uh, in the past, and therefore, one argument about how to actually take society forward is you know, to ensure that no community, no group of people are either disadvantaged or advantaged by prescriptive categories of which they have no say, you know, race and, and for that matter, gender and sexuality and, and disability and so forth. So the idea of non-racism is, is very much that you have equal treatment before the law, that you have equal treatment by our, our institutions, you know, policing, education, health and so forth. And, and again, you know, there's, 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 in one sense, you know, we probably all agree that there's, 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 yes, we do kind of want equal treatment, but that tends to retreat into a kind of formalism, which says, look, we have a formula here. Let's really not really talk about people or communities in terms of race at all. Let's just kind of regard everyone as non-racial blanks. Yeah. And that will somehow actually produce equality and fairness. But, and this goes back to Derek Bell also, Bell was very, very, as, as a legal scholar, was very, very sceptical about, about these formalist ideas, which said, basically, look, if you apply the correct abstract formula to the workings of the law, the workings of social policy, the workings of government, and everything will be fine because yeah for bell and for me that that's a very very ahistorical position what it doesn't do 
is take account of the fact that we don't live on a level playing field. Inequalities are already there. And just this non-racism, non-racialism, this, this, this kind of unseeing of, of race in itself doesn't actually give us a clue as to how to address the equalities that, 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 that persist. So that's that's that. It just silences them. It just silences them. It's, it, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, if one wanted to be generous, we could say that. Well, yeah, the, the, yeah. There is something well meant about about some iterations about non-racism. You know, it's based on this, this abstract liberal principle of, of equal or same treatment. Yeah. But then you have, a, I think, a more bad faith version, which which I call and which you know, scholars such as Eduardo Bonilla Silva and. Cheryl Harris and uh, Kimberly Crenshaw have talked about as colorblindness or colorblind racism, which is it really is kind of wanting us to push towards the belief that you know, that race racism really isn't there at all. In other words, this 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 kind of iteration of, of post-racialism, this colorblindness, basically says, look, race and racism, you know. Uh, have declined in their social salience. They're just not really important, not as important as they were. And therefore, race is no longer a valid lens through which to view society, either sociologically or, or in terms of, 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 of social policy or politics. And, you know, this 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 colorblindness, it doesn't literally argue that there is no racism at all. But what it does is to discount ideas about structural racism and institutional racism. So in a way, it, it, it can see that racism might exist you know, in the minds of some bad apples at the individual level. But what it won't do is to countenance the idea that actually our major institutions, housing and health and education and policing and government, actually also serve to reproduce racial inequalities and racial injustices. You, you used this term a historical, didn't you? And, and and it is that sense that the level playing field exists because whatever we say today is 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 the truth. It it, it sort mm, of misses this notion. Yeah, that's, that where we are today is a product. That's of, right, and that is as true of individuals as it is of systems and institutions. They, they that's that's right. Didn't emerge out of you know today's edict on how we feel about things. They emerged out of. Yeah a history which was deeply and intentionally racist in 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 how it was offered. yes but but absolutely but but there is this belief that you that you can just you can just impose a kind of complete historical break and and and, and start again it's, it's almost a kind of religious belief you know that, that, that we a millenarian belief you know that we've we've entered a new age now yes. all that stuff and and, and 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 i think that's a very very important idea that's contained within post-racialism or a facile kind of post-racialism as I call it and I'll tell you why I call it that in a moment but but yeah but, but there very much is the idea that such racism as exists at all is very much a, a holdover yeah a, a dying remnant from a, yeah, a darker yeah, less enlightened age you know therefore it, yeah, it's really external to our society it's brought in by the odd bad apple or the odd dark memory here and there it's not really something that, that exists and is reproduced in, in the present. But this this kind of colorblindism, I mean, it does a couple of things. One is it tends to work, and we find this in policy again and again. We find it in, in some areas of research. What it tends to do, because we know there are still racialized inequalities, inequalities between communities, you know, they have to be explained, but explained in, in ways that owe, that, that owe nothing to ideas about institutional racism or structural racism. You know, so therefore, what we look for is 
anything but racism to account for racialized inequalities. So therefore, what you, you get a couple of things. One is you get this search for non-racial factors. So there are certain forms of, of I don't know, of, of, of regression analysis that you see in social science and in, and in monitoring and so forth, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not kind of discounting, you know, the, the usefulness of regression analysis altogether. But, but what you see is these attempts to say, well, actually, you know, it appears that these inequalities are racialized, but actually things like previous parental education or housing or regionality are actually you know, more important than race. And you think, well, it's a complete misunderstanding of how racism works, you know, because there's nothing actually wrong with looking at parental education or previous uh, education uh, to explain the, say, the educational attainment of, of, of particular communities. This but, coming around to intersectionality, so this this idea that you know it, it's 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 all the factors, including racism, not excluding racism. Yeah. So yeah. So, so, so yes. So, so you know, the, the problem is that you, know, you can look at parental education, but parental education was already shaped by racism. Yes. And yeah. you can look at you can look at university graduates and say, well, let's look at their previous school education. That's fine, but but that previous education was also shaped by racism and affluence and employment. They're also shaped by you know, they, they don't exist apart from it. Yeah. So you, you get this this searching around for things that are supposedly non-racial factors. So we're supposed to see uh, racial inequalities as entirely non-racial, you know. And the other thing, of course, which 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 kind of comes out of that is because even the colorblind thinkers know there are still racialized inequalities in society. What you very often have, therefore, is this kind of inevitable retreat into cultural deficit theories. Right. By, 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 by which I mean that, you know, the, you get this argument that, the, 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 well, you know, it's certainly not about institutional racism or structural racism because we, 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 we don't really accept the existence of those things. So if this community or that community is having poor outcomes in terms of employment or education or the, you know, the criminal justice system, then, you know, maybe it's something to do with their, you know, their particular culture with their their family structures and and I don't know and and and, and their their family structures and their and, and their ethics and their, their 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 cultural practice and so you go back to this whole kind of community blaming which is this because we're not racist when that's none of those things are racist to, to talk to absolutely so so this is where we can kind of, we, we kind of move into the post-racial framework here so so what you actually have is 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 the kind of, yeah I, I I talk about this you know this this non-racism and this colorblindism uh, as produce, producing a kind of facile post-racialism because there are there are very interesting and important challenging ideas about post-racialism and yeah and, and the possibilities of post-racial societies and identities you know and you can see this you, you see it in, in the work of I don't know Anthony Apaya or, or Paul Gilmer or Ruth Wilson Gilmer they'll they'll you know they, they they explore some of these ideas in very exciting challenging almost futuristic ways but the post-racialism that we have currently is, is not that at all it's really not about removing or combating racism so much as it is about just discouraging people from talking about racism at all, from discouraging any talk of race and racism. Facile post-racism. Post yeah. That's exactly. so, so, so I call it facile. It, 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 it's easy. It's kind of bland. And, and, and it's just premature. Yeah. Uh, you don't need to, need to look at my book to look at 
uh, the many examples that have come out of you know, rec- your recent reports, you know, the Louise Cases re- uh, report from this year, 2023, into you know, metropolitan uh, police practices. And, and, and yeah, and, and you had the Lamy report on the legal system and, 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 and you had the race equality audit of racial disparity audit of 2018. You, you, you've had masses and masses of reports that just kind of sit on shelves that tell us <laughs> yeah, about racialized inequalities in Britain and the role of racism, institutional racism within them. They're, they're, they're currently sitting on sitting on a shelf somewhere, you know, in the home office or, or wherever. So therefore, you know, th- this, I, I call it facile racism because, because it's, you know, it, it's, it's just so self-evidently premature. But the other phrase I use, as I said, that this facile racism, this bad faith, sorry, this facile post-racism, this facile post-racialism has become the basis of what I now call a, a state-led post-racialism. Right. So for me, it's, it's now not accidental, it's not incidental. What we're seeing you know, again and again is government rhetoric that constantly encourages us to, to move on from talking about race and racism. In the book, for instance, I talk about how quickly after the Black Lives Matter research in the 20, researches of 2020, you, you saw government rhetoric and government policy, an example being the, the CRED report, which is a report produced in 2021 by the, the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities. Sorry, I, I often get the exact name. I just call it the Fred Report, but the people people will know uh, what what I'm referring to, uh, which really was initially commissioned as a response to uh, Black Lives Matter and a response to the events of 2020, but really ended up foregrounding a complete dismissal of institutional racism, which which it said you know, really really is is an, is an inflated con concept that, that that we shouldn't really be applying in 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 policy. It doesn't really exist. Was was what it came up with? No, that's 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 right. And and it wasn't just the Craig report. You 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 had reports soon after from the uh, the House of Commons Education Committee again, which became obsessed with the idea that that um. Your white ideas about white privilege were being were being kind of taught across the school system, and that this was a a cause of the underachievement amongst white working class children. And, and you, you have many many similar kinds of of arguments. But yeah, they're, yeah they're, and, and and in one sense that there was nothing absolutely new about this. I mean, I I remember uh, you know a decade earlier when David Cameron was prime minister, you know, you know he he talked about the need to turn the page on the failed policies of multiculturalism. But there's no doubt that when the Craig report came out, uh, Boris Johnson was prime minister at the time and, and he uh, you know, he trailed the Craig report by saying that, you know, that his intention was to change the narrative on race. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we came to understand exactly what it meant, which was this kind of discounting of institutional racism, and again, this casting of anti-racism as a bogus and divisive thing. And critical race theory, again, is one of the kind of empty signifiers that's often kind of thrown up, you know, uh, to sort of um, disparage any kind of anti-racist activity. So, you know, not long before the Craig report came out, um, an equalities minister stood up in the House of Commons and, you know, and talked about critical race theory and actually said, you know, you know, this government is unequivocally against critical race theory. And people like myself who've been 
working with critical race theory for the previous i don't know 15 years or whatever just thought what <laughs> you know you know, we, we, you know no one's ever ever heard critical race theory referred to uh in the house of commons before and yet apparently it, it, it now it now you know has, has, has captured every institution in the in, in in the country this is this is but but again you know the, it wasn't a real reference to critical race theory as it exists i mean it, it, it was just the usage of critical race theory as, as a as a, a yeah a, a signifier for any kind of talk of, of race or racism and so we need to be unequivocally opposed to critical race theory really it, it, it's a way of saying well you, know, you need to stop talking about race and racism so I, I, I actually say that we've reached a stage now of, of, of state-led or state post-racialism. And, and it's very much a backlash against, I suppose, the, what, what, I, what I often call the state multiculturalism that we saw in the 1980s and the 1990s in Britain. You know, the, um, the London Education Authority and the GLC and, and all the work that they were doing and, and work that was done in many local authorities around multiculturalism and, and anti-racism it, it, it's there's we got to the early 2000s and, and and the retreat began and that retreat needed to be reinforced after 2020 and, and, and black lives matter hence you know we kind of get to this stage of state post-racialism yeah 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 i, I w- wanted to ask about this uh, there is a, a desire you, you called it contradiction closure mm, mm. And, and I think somewhere along there as well is that sense of um, I, I think you write about this idea that sort of don't come to us with with racist problems unless you're coming with a fix as well and what critical race theory as I understand it and, and, and what permanent racism does is it defies that sort of uh, sense of uh, there's a fix here's the 10 point agenda that yeah. we now need to follow in order to then put that to bed and say that's that's all done with that's um, yeah yeah and and, and and i think you know of course you'll be yeah yeah you know, if, if we're if we're to be generous of course you yeah we can understand to an extent the the, you know, the search for you know practical strategies and so forth but 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 they're very often uh they also become kind of forces by which to regulate anti-racism to regulate talk talk about racism so the phrase that that, that you that you refer to it's it's um a quote from uh frank wilderson who terms himself as as a, as, a, as a, an Afro pessimist, which um, is is several steps along the road, even from critical race theory. So people who kind of balk at critical race theory, I, I don't know what they do if they ever actually came across Afro pessimism. Uh, but anyway, to get, to get a long story short, you know what the quote that I take from Wilderson in the book, it, 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 it's it, it basically talks about black talk, yeah, an anti racist talk more generally. As, as being coerced talk. In other words, the response that you get from institutions is, you know, don't come to us with any, with any bad news about race. Don't come to us with any bad news about racism unless you have a solution yeah. built, built in. And, you know, therefore you, you, you get a very, very constrained kind of anti-racist talk and you get a kind of anti-racist talk that, 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 that is steered towards kind of facile solutions. And, and again, towards, you know, you know what Bell termed contradiction closure, the idea that, oh, if we if we implement a new committee here uh, or you know, apply a new monitoring form there, well, that, you know, that, that, that'll be the end of it. Or that, you know, we'll, we'll have dealt with racism. Yeah. Move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Just, just, yeah, just, just move on. Stop talking about it. And, and I, th- I think, I think it's a really important quote that kind of informs the whole book, really. Yeah. Um, that this wasn't a book that was written to 
you know, I, I think even, even, even some people who use aspects of critical race theory and, and you know, claim to be working with critical race theory, they'll they, uh, they'll talk about Bell's work and Kimberly Crenshaw's work, and, and they'll talk about these big ideas, you know, racial realism and um, interest convergence and, and contradiction closure, all these very difficult ideas. And then they'll feel kind of obligated to kind of, in the last few paragraphs of their article or chapter, they'll they'll feel just kind of obligated to sort of come up with uh, you know, two or three you know, you know, quite facile uh, recommendations yeah. as as to what we should do to yeah and 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 it's I guess what critical race theory is doing and I think what I'd like people to take away from the book first of all it, it's it's the you know, the problems are 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 sadly much much bigger than that you know it it, it doesn't mean that there is. You know, there, there's no point at all in you know, applying certain kinds of you know, policy measures you know, in, in particular areas. But the actual problem, the persistent problem of racism and, and race, racial injustice, it, it's, it, it's really one that, that we have to take seriously. And, and to take it seriously is it, it's a very uncomfortable pro- process. You know, the, you know, the, it, it, and again, we can go back to France, Fan and all for that matter, W.E.B. Du Bois and 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 and, and so forth. Um, um, what what those great Black Atlantic thinkers are saying to us is is well, you know, there 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 really would need to be a wholesale change in society to actually address and to begin to to overcome the problems of racism that. that and with that notion of, of overcoming, that was a question I really did want to ask you, which is about how these concepts then play into, so, so permanent racism, more broadly the study of critical race theory, how does that affect social change and activism um, mm. without trying to be the person that sat here saying, <laughs> yeah. how can we move past here, Paul? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, I think there are, there are a couple of things. I mean, you know, at, at heart, what critical race theory really is, it's it's a theory of institutional racism, yeah. so it, it's it's really concerned with how are our great institutions, state institutions, and state-aligned institutions reproduce racism, reproduce racial inequality, reproduce racial injustice, and therefore what it does is to begin to analyze those in those the, 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 that reproduction of injustice by really calling into question the claims to neutrality and meritocracy that you know, that dominate our institutions today. So what critical race theory does is to say, well, we cannot take at face value uh, the education system or the legal system or the health system or whatever. We, 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 we can't take their claims to be neutral institutions. And we have to look at the ways and, and, and work out the ways in which they are not neutral. So, you know, our education system isn't isn't neutral, our legal systems aren't neutral, but also the, you know, the parallel, the kind of parallel discourses that institutions throw up where they they would tell us what, what good law is or what good policy is or what good education is. Also, the, these uh, ideas about what is good, what is good education, what is a just law, these things are also not neutral. So, so one, what critical race theory does is, is, yeah, is, is it can really embolden us to actually uh, refuse to accept our institutions as being neutral when it comes to, to race and racism. Secondly, uh, what it can really, I think, encourage us to do is to constantly refuse that dynamic of contradiction closure 
where institutions can say to us, well, actually, you know, we 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 dealt with the we dealt with those, but yeah, we dealt with with uh, the old races, and that's 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 done. You know, we introduced a new a new policy, and and it's all done with. So there's a kind of refusal of of, of um, contradiction closure. And again, I I guess what Bell says, um, and, and this is where Bell's work does come out of very much out of the civil rights struggle, because I, I've heard people who criticize critical race theory and say no no we, we don't believe any of that we 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 yeah, we we hold fast to the principles of martin luther king you know and they haven't got a clue what martin luther king was actually about they, they don't they don't they're not interested in martin luther king in the sense that he that he brought thousands of people out on the street that he, that he confronted racist policing that he called for reparations you know that he was a very 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 unpopular figure in the USA a very divisive figure more divisive than critical race theory ever ever could be but no your critical race theory actually comes in very large part you out, out of that that civil rights struggle that's what people like Derek Bell had, had actually grown up and one of the things that you know, the Bell takes from the, the civil rights struggle again is that working on the basis you know, that racism is a permanent feature of our societies doesn't actually paralyze us. It you know, shouldn't actually paralyze us, you know, and it, and it doesn't let us off the hook. It actually says that, 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 that no, you know, <laughs> once you understand that permanence, that actually yeah, is your incentive to go on and on and on working, you know, and combating racism, combating social injustice. So, you know, I, I remember seeing a comment on Martin Luther King the other day, which said that one of the reasons that King was such a challenging leader to his followers was that, he, you know, we often think of him, him as promising the, you know, the, the that we shall overcome. But actually, what what King also promised was tribulation. You know, that 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 really, you know, there there isn't going to be any any easy way around racism. You know, the only way you can confront racism and possibly move past it is to actually go through it. And and, and that that will require tribulation. It will require difficulty. It, it will require frustration. And critical race theory, when, you know, when Bell talks about the permanence of racism, he says, you know, the permanence of racism mean, doesn't mean that we don't act. It means it means that we have to act. But we don't act on the basis of assuming that, that, that our actions will lead to a kind of easy, facile solution, you know. And I suppose the final thing that I'd like people to take away from, away from the book, again, does go back to that quote by Frederick Wilderson about the coercion of black and, you know, by extension, anti-racist speech, you know, this idea that you shouldn't come to us talking about racism unless you've got a solution built in, you know, because what Wilderson is really saying is, is, well, no, one of the first things that we have to do is to speak freely, you know, and there's a lot of talk today about about free speech, but I but I I, I find very little talk about racism that is really freely voiced. There's still a, a lot of coercion, a lot of intimidation, a lot of anti anti racist rhetoric. So yeah, so what the book says is 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 well, look, you know, <laughs> even if you don't have a neat solution, you know, it, it's it, it's it's still you know, it, it's still necessary. To, to speak up and eyes and ears and being aware and and speaking to it. yeah 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 and, and, and as I said you know, what critical race theory does also is to give us some pointers as, as to the kind of things to keep our eyes and ears open for contradiction closure and interest convergence and 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 uh, all of this stuff you know that has been really wonderful thank you so uh, much for... i hope so I, I i certainly i certainly enjoyed it i hope, I hope it made some sense of, of of what the book and this whole permanent racism idea is 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 about rebecca and i, and I think it, I, you know i think it's great and i think you know one of 
the things that you, you talked to at the beginning is this notion that the title in some senses has a shock value to it, but that's intentional. We we yeah. need to be in some senses shocked into a, a recognition of, of, of having yeah. to get into dialogue with this term, which is which is wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. OK. Paul's book, Permanent Racism, Race, Class and the Myth of Post-Racial Britain is a brilliant foray into understanding how racism plays out in Britain in our immediate as well as more distant past, in our present and almost certainly in our future. Paul Warmington uses critical race theory and Black Atlantic thought to illuminate how post-racial discourse is routinely used to silence, erase and normalise social inequalities experienced by black and brown people. Whilst the book carries a tough message, it does so with purpose, calling for us to recognise that racism is durable but not eternal, and that our choosing to acknowledge the situation as it is lived and experienced is a powerful and necessary first step.